of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, welcome to Night TV Radio. Coming up in your program this Wednesday, the 10th of May, we'll look at a new summit that's bringing together over 900 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women currently underway in Canberra till tomorrow. And to learn more about this event, we'll be joined by Stella Decos, Director, Community and Customer Experience at Indigenous Business Australia. As you'll hear, the First Nations Women's Summit was convened by the Australian Human Rights Commission and is fully supported by Indigenous Business Australia and aims to foster conversations on how First Nations women can take control of their future and deliver safety, justice and prosperity to their families and communities. Also in the program, the Federal Treasurer has just delivered his 2023 budget. We'll look at what's in this uh, budget and reactions from around the country. Also, earlier this week, Victoria's top cop apologized for systemic racism and discrimination against First Nations people in Victoria at the Yorick Truth Telling Commission. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news on NITV Radio. And this Wednesday afternoon, we are broadcasting from Nam on the Kulin Nation. Bertrand Tungandamingaya. I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. They've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. More than 900 First Nations women gather at the National Summit in Canberra. More details and reactions on the 2023 federal budget. And Joe Biden says the United States will not default on its debt. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women, including those who identified who identify as cis, trans, and non-binary, are meeting in an arena of decision making with a diverse range of private and public stakeholders. The three-day event, called the Wiyiyani Utangani National Summit, builds on the landmark work of the Wiyiyani Utangani Report 2020 and Implementation Framework 2021, which put a lens across the strength, knowledge, and culture of First Nations women and girls. The event will explore a wide range of topics including women and girls' self-determination, economic justice, embedding healing practices throughout institutions, and policies on combating climate change. June Oscar, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Social Justice Commissioner at the Australian Human Rights Commission, notes the importance of forums like this for First Nations women to be heard and create change. First Nations women know what is needed to nurture and protect our families and communities. 
We have the knowledge, we have the skills, we have the networks and most importantly, we have the determination. We are ready and have always been ready to transform our cultural power, knowledges and lived experiences into effective policy and program outcomes. This is what the summit and we Yaniyu Dangani as a national initiative is all about. Treasurer Jim Chalmers has handed down his second federal budget saying it will build a stronger economy and a fairer society. The Treasurer is forecasting the budget will return to surplus this year, but other measures show difficult economic conditions ahead. Economic growth is forecast to slow next year before recovering slightly, while inflation is not expected to return to target until 2024-2025. Jim Chalmers has told the Parliament the budget is responsible, affordable and prioritises those most in need. Speaker, in all of our decisions, we seek to strike a considered, methodical balance between spending restraint to keep the pressure off inflation while doing what we can to help people struggling to make ends meet. Meanwhile, windfall revenue from high commodity prices and high employment have reduced Australia's chances of racking up a trillion dollars worth of debt. The Treasurer says returning revenue to the budget means debt will be almost $300 billion lower by the end of the medium term, saving $83 billion in interest costs over the next 12 years. The federal budget includes measures to protect First Nations traditional knowledge and cultural expression. $13.4 million is to be spent over five years for the introduction of a standalone legislation and artist mentorship and training programs for First Nations artists and related workers. It allocates $11 million over three years to establish a First Nations Languages Policy Partnership and conduct a National Indigenous Languages Survey to improve outcomes for First Nations peoples. $3.8 million over two years goes to the Australian Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies to digitize and store at-risk audiovisual material. The measures come as part of a $286 million package over five years to support Australia's arts, entertainment and cultural sector. And the federal government is increasing access to bulk billing for doctors' appointments so more people can see a GP with no out-of-pocket costs. The budget... Sorry, the budget allocates an extra $3.5 billion to triple bulk billing incentives for face-to-face and telehealth consultations. It means about 11.6 million Australians will be able to access bulk billing, including children aged under 16 and healthcare card holders. Treasurer Jim Chalmers says the reform will ensure the quality of a person's healthcare is guaranteed by is guaranteed by their Medicare card, not their credit card. Right now, too many are finding it more and more difficult to see a doctor. The costs are too high, the wait times are too long, and the consultation is often too short. Families are being forced into a lose-lose choice between getting the help they need or paying their other bills. This robs parents of peace of mind and it puts families under strain. It means more problems go undiagnosed or untreated. And it means our workforce is not as healthy or productive as it could be and should be. And we want to change that.
and the federal government will establish two new agencies to protect Australia's natural environment. The federal budget provides $121 million over four years to establish the first national environmental watchdog to be called Environment Protection Australia. The independent agency's role will be to implement a new suite of laws to protect nature and to block or approve developments, set conditions and ensure they are met. It comes after the scathing summer review found Australia's environmental laws are failing with many ecosystems showing signs of potential collapse and 1,800 species in peril. Meantime, the budget is also the budget also includes $51.5 million over four years for a second agency to be called Environment Information Australia. Its role will be to guide the task of nature repair that lies ahead. The budget also has money for an, overall, an overhaul of national natural, nature laws and to establish a promised biodiversity trading scheme that will see the private sector pay landowners to protect and restore the environment. There is also $50 million to conserve and restore globally important wetlands and catchments and $48 million for the ongoing management of World Heritage Sites. Five million households and a million small businesses will get energy bill relief in the federal budget, part of a scheme jointly funded with Australia's states and territories. Those eligible for the scheme will include pensioners, veterans, seniors and other concession card holders, as well as recipients of the care allowance and family tax benefits and people who are already in existing state and territory electricity concession programs. New South Wales and Queensland households will receive $500 and small businesses can get a $650 rebate. In Victoria, households will get a $250 annual energy rebate on power bills in addition to the $250 power saving bonus that will continue. Meanwhile, cheap loans for energy upgrades and nation-building new industries have been backed in the budget to permanently reduce power bills and create clean jobs. As well as the targeted energy bill relief for households, there is a plan for communities to take advantage of savings from smarter power use and the global boom in clean energy. Treasurer Jim Chalmers says the global investment landscape for renewable energy and low-carbon manufacturing has changed with significant international policies, and this is requiring a $4 billion top-up to protect Australia's transformation. Rewiring Australia co-founder Sol Griffith says this is Australia's first electrification budget, describing it as a profound reset of climate and energy policy after a lost decade. In the United States, President Joe Biden has declared his country will not default on its debt. Mr. Biden made the announcement after a meeting with top lawyers, including the Republican Mitch McConnell, who serves as minority leader of the Senate. I thought a productive meeting with the congressional leadership about the path forward to make sure America does not default, emphasize does not default on its debt for the first time in history. I'm pleased, uh, but not surprised, to hear Republican Minority Leader of the United States Senate saying that at our meeting that the United States is not going to default, never has, and it never will. 
Joe Biden seeks to raise the federal government's self-imposed borrowing limit without conditions, but the Republican Speaker of the House of Representatives, Kevin McCarthy, has said his chamber will not approve any deal that doesn't cut spending. Although Mr. Biden said both, side agree, both sides agreed the country will not default, there has not been any deal announced yet and the parties agreed to meet again on Friday. If no agreement is found, the United States could default as early as the 1st of June. Imran Khan has been arrested by Pakistan's military. The former prime minister was taken into custody after he travelled to court in Islamabad to face corruption charges. One witness says paramilitary forces and armoured personnel carriers followed him as he entered the compound of the high court. The gate was then blocked by the armoured vehicles while he was whisked away under heavy security. Khan was toppled as Prime Minister in a no-confidence vote last year. And to sport, and uh, the National Rugby League has announced its support for an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice to Parliament. The NRL has posted a statement on social media saying they're committed to the voice and the entirety of the Uluru statement from the heart. Their statement says true change comes from listening, learning and taking action. Indigenous Affairs Minister Linda Bani says she's not surprised to see the league is barking the voice. First Nations communities have deep bonds with rugby league and are part of the game's fabric at all levels. From Joel Thompson to Nico Himes, from Jonathan Thurston to the great Latrell Mitchell. The NRL would be unrecognisable today without the enormous contribution of Indigenous players. The NRL joins an amazing list and the support is growing day by day. And having a look at the weather around the country this Wednesday afternoon, Broome sunny 31, Perth showers 19 degrees, Adelaide partly cloudy 18, Melbourne shower 2 16, Hobart cloudy 16, Albury Wodonga sunny as well 16 degrees, Canberra also sunny and 16, Wollongong similar conditions 19 degrees, Sydney also sunny 20, Newcastle mostly sunny 22, Brisbane sunny 24, Townsville sunny 26, Cairnsville Partly Keynes, not Keynesville, Keynes, partly cloudy, 27 degrees, and early springs, sunny and 20 degrees, Darwin, sunny, 32, and the Torres Strait Islands are mostly cloudy there and the top of 30 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio. Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. Hi, I'm Bertrand Tungandami and you're listening to Night TV Radio, coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Wednesday afternoon. Coming up next, Ayan with Indigenous Business Australia's Stella Decos, talking about the First Nations Women's Voices Summit, currently underway in Canberra. And last night, the Federal Treasurer delivered his 2023 budget. In the program, we'll look at what's in Labor's second federal budget in over a decade. And earlier this week, Victoria's top cop apologised for systemic racism and discrimination against First Nations people in Victoria at the Uruk Truth Telling Commission. Now, let's hear how Indigenous Business Australia joined the Women's Summit as a sponsor 
and the overall Wiyani Utangani project to continue to support the strength and impact of Aboriginal and Torres Strait, and Torres Strait Islander women. <music> New summit bringing together over 200 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women, including those who identify as cis, trans, and non binary, into an arena of decision making with a diverse range of uh, public and uh, private stakeholders, is taking place in Canberra. And uh, joining me on NITV Radio to explore this summit is uh, Stella De Cross. Indigenous Business Australia's Director of Community and uh, Customer Experience, Indigenous Business Australia, also shortly known as IBA. Welcome to NITV Radio, Stella. Hello, thank you for having me. IBA has been instrumental in bringing this summit uh, together. Uh, Tell us about uh, how the idea and uh, how the summit came about. Uh, So the the summit is an initiative of um, our Social Justice Commissioner, June Oscar. Um, and started five years ago where she um, went out on country and explored and listened to women's and girls' voices about uh, challenges for them in their communities um, and in their life. And so this is the second stage of Commissioner Oscar's plan uh, in bringing women from all over Australia and girls together to plan and for the future uh, to stand and have a conversation with government and to inform policy or to create the direction, I guess, the way policy changes um, for our voices to be heard into the future. And IBA's role has been our Executive Director of Kia, uh, Kia Dow, Executive Director, has um, been sitting on one of the advisory groups of the summit since its inception and so has contributed to the strategy. And IBA, we are proud to have been able to sponsor the summit and we've supported more than 40 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women from remote and regional locations to attend the summit um, on our own. And so um, spending time with women and learning about their economic opportunities and, and security and safety concerns in my introduction, I said 200 women, but actually there's far, far, far more than that. Yes, this morning they, they uh, announced to the delegates that there are almost 900 or some 900 women here um, in Canberra uh, in the place of democracy meeting and joining together to share our voices. And these women are mothers and grandmothers, are aunties, are daughters, are sisters and nieces. And we are joined by non-Indigenous women as well, our allies and supporters who will help us with change. And the theme of uh, the summit is We Are The Change. Who came up with this theme? Because change is a very powerful thing, of course. Everyone wants change, a positive change. Uh, How was this theme developed? Was it uh, by the conveners or together with some of the participants as well? I think it came from the conveners and Commissioner Oscar and over the five years of consultation and speaking with the women and designing the steps and pathways forward, uh, Commissioner Oscar told us this morning that she could see and that through generations that her mother and, and, and older generations had told her before that she could see that our women and our girls are the change and to be in this place, we create the change. And so I believe that's how they came. Um, we, I came up with the title for the summit. Yeah. Got a bit sidetracked there. What are the main um, areas of conversations uh, that yes. will be so explored? Areas of conversation, there will be a focus on um, social justice and economic empowerment, uh, which is something that IBA 
um, though we are intrinsically linked and changed for all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, our mandate drives and supports this for women um, and all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, actually. Um, leadership, uh, land, culture and community, um, health and housing and safety and as um, quite a few representatives from the creative space as well and talking about culture and language and community as well. So um, they are the, the main themes for the summit. Yeah. And uh, you said uh, prior to the conference that our First Nations women and girls are often the backbone of our communities. Uh, so creating a safe space for our women to gather elevates their voices to influence a tr- transformative change. This aligns very well with the theme of uh, the conference. What changes would you like to see uh, happen uh, in priority? I think all changes are important and a priority. Uh, I'm blessed to be here to participate as my, in my my own capacity as a Southern Islander woman as well and to have my voice heard um, and also I guess as an IBA delegate and representative um, economic empowerment and security is very important and when our women are financially well and can provide for their family and their community and they are confident then that resonates with the community and through their children and through their broader family as well so I think economic justice uh, and empowerment is critical, but as are all the themes, it was really hard to say that we would to see actions be more in one area than any other area as well. Yeah, I gather the um, the the conference stems from uh, discussions that started uh, already in 2020, 2021. Uh, where to from now? Is it going to be a regular event or it's a one-off? That's actually um, the Social Justice Commissioner, the June Oscars and her team's call. I know that uh, this week will we'll, um, mark the forming of a national plan for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and girls. Um, and June Oscar also announced this morning that there is plans for um, a gender uh, equality or justice uh, institute as well. So I imagine that these will contribute that action plan or the plans that we create here will contribute to the future of that. Uh, at IBA, we would love to see a conference like this continue to bring so many First Nation women together um, and to create change, really, and build confidence and and network with each other. Yeah. Now, the conference has got uh, an Aboriginal name. I didn't dare say it in the introduction because I couldn't pronounce it and I wouldn't want to massacre this name. Can you say it for us? We Yani Utangani or uh, yep. yeah, Yani Utangani, um, which Commissioner Oscar uh, explains so passionately and so well in her language, in Bunabar language, uh, that represents um, women's voices and many women and many women's voices. We Yani Utangani. Wiyani Utangani is the conference yes. that's currently taking place. Now, before I let you go back to the proceedings, any final thoughts? Yeah, it's such an inspirational place to be, and this is really only day one. So we have two very full, amazing days ahead of us. Even this afternoon, we will hear more stories. We'll be hearing women's stories um, from community, from regional and remote, and from urban locations. And so I think the the critical point for us uh, as coming together will be to listen and to learn and to support and share. 
Stella Decos, thank you very much for taking the time to join us on NITV Radio today to talk about uh, We Yani Utangani Summit. Thank you very much. It was nice to talk to you. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Coming up next, well, we have a look into the Federal Treasurer's 2023 budget. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Bringing down living costs for people in Australia is the primary focus of the 2023 federal budget. Treasurer Jim Chalmers has promised the seemingly impossible to ease the pressure on household budgets, but at the same time to force inflation back down. Nikki Canning has the details. Federal treasurers frequently invoke a big picture to help them sell unpalatable truths. But Treasurer Jim Chalmers' long-term vision is bigger than most as he delivers this year's budget. He says it will help everyone move into the future. The budget we present to the Australian people tonight provides cost-of-living relief that is responsible and affordable and prioritises those most in need. It delivers historic investments in Medicare and the care economy, making it easier and cheaper for Australians to see their doctor. It broadens opportunity by breaking down the barriers of disadvantage and exclusion. It lays the foundations for growth by embracing clean energy and investing in value-adding industries, people, skills, technology and small business. And it strengthens the budget with a surplus forecast for this year with less debt than smaller deficits compared with recent budgets. These are the foundations on which our government is building a stronger economy and a fairer society. Dr Chalmers is offering a $14.6 billion suite of measures to help people in Australia overcome the hardships they're experiencing due to the rising cost of living. He says these will provide help with power bills, boost wages, support vulnerable people, create more affordable housing and reduce out-of-pocket health costs. He's identified strengthening Medicare as a key part of that. But right now, too many are finding it more and more difficult to see a doctor. The costs are too high, the wait times are too long, and the consultation is often too short. Families are being forced into a lose-lose choice between getting the help they need or paying their other bills. This robs parents of peace of mind and it puts families under strain. It means more problems go undiagnosed or untreated. And it means our workforce is not as healthy or productive as it could be and should be. And we want to change that. The Treasurer is offering funding for urgent care clinics and changes to make it easier to get vaccinations at the GP. But the key component is a substantial increase to the incentive encouraging GPs to bulk bill a $3.5 billion boost that will help GPs provide free consultations to around 11.6 million eligible Australians. He says it will help take pressure off public hospitals and emergency departments, which are still feeling the strain of a -a once-in-a-century pandemic. Defence is another key area for the government. The Treasurer says investing in strategic industries will also create new opportunities across the economy as will the investment in defence and national security. The government says the AUKUS agreement will directly support 20,000 jobs over the next 30 years in advanced manufacturing 
and will broaden and deepen Australia's industrial base. Climate change is also getting some attention. Dr Chalmers says this budget is underpinned by a plan to modernise the economy by making Australia a renewable energy superpower, by investing in people and their skills and by supporting small businesses to innovate and grow. The government is making the biggest ever investment in Australia's energy transformation. This budget allocates $4 billion to realising our future as a renewable energy superpower, bringing the government's total investment to more than $40 billion. This includes part of our $15 billion National Reconstruction Fund to support the development of green industries, manufacturing and more, and a new capacity investment scheme that will unlock over $10 billion of investment in firmed-up renewable energy projects up and down our east coast. These strategic investments will work in partnership. Abundant, affordable, renewable energy powering new jobs and new industries in our regions and our suburbs. A key message from Dr Chalmers is about what he calls the importance of making the federal budget position stronger. He says this budget returns 82% of the extra revenue windfall that's largely come from lower unemployment, stronger jobs and wages growth and higher prices for key exports. The government's also found $17.8 billion in savings and redirected spending, $40 billion over this budget and the previous one in October 2022. Because our first two budgets made such a firm commitment to responsibility and restraint, we are now forecasting a small surplus in 2022-23, which would be the first in 15 years. We expect that to be followed by a deficit of $13.9 billion in 23-24 and lower deficits across the forward years compared to recent budgets, leading to a $125.9 billion improvement in the budget over five years and a much lower public debt burden. While the Treasurer says this budget surplus is good news, he's also flagged the structural challenges ahead. Defence, health aged care, the NDIS and interest payments on debt. He says the federal government cannot get all services on a more sustainable footing alone, so Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is bringing together the states and territories to agree on a new cooperative approach to secure the future of essential services and programs. The belief in opportunity fairly shared has underpinned our greatest achievements from Medicare to superannuation. The same spirit underpins constitutional recognition through a voice. It drives our government and it shapes this budget. A determination to tackle the big challenges and to seize the big chances. Nikki Canning, SBS News. You're with NITV Radio. Well, we often talk about the budget in terms of uh, winners and losers. And uh, last night's uh, budget, well, has been met as expected with mixed reactions from multi-cultural organizations and uh, other sectors of the community. 
indigenous communities can expect hundreds of millions of dollars for closing the gap measures, although much of it has been previously announced. The government has also pledged to develop regional voice bodies as Australians prepare to vote in the referendum for a national body later this year. Labour says it's walking a tightrope of giving people a financial leg up while trying to keep inflation down. It will also come down to whether it can maintain that delicate balance. Let's now go through some of the details of uh, some funds allocated to closing the gap. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Uh, $363.1 million is to be paid by the government over four years in a bid to close the gap in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's health and well-being and improve outcomes in aged care. Another $238.5 million will be spent over the same period to improve First Nations cancer rates. The money will be used to build capability and increase the healthcare workforce, improve screening and prevention activities, coordination, access support and research and data collection. $77.3 million has been allocated to improve outcomes for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in aged care. Most of that... Approximately $52.1 million over two years from 2023-2024 increases the funding available to aged care providers in very remote areas. $8.1 million over three years is to help providers transition to new accountability measures and obligations under the proposed new Aged Care Act. $7.6 million over two years is to fund capacity building of Aboriginal community-controlled organisations to potentially provide aged care services. There is also some money, $7.9 million over four years, to develop mandatory cultural awareness training for aged care staff and to support project and program assurance activities. million will be spent in 2023-2024 to appoint an interim First Nations Aged Care Commissioner. And there is $28.2 million to be spent over three years for workforce accommodation to support the delivery of 30 dialysis units for First Nations people in regional and remote Australia. This measure extends the 2022-2023 October budget measure titled Strengthening First Nations Health. Yeah, now that's all for the budget uh, today. Now a story shared with us uh, by uh, NITV. As Australians prepare to cast their ballots in the first referendum of a generation, the yes and no campaigns for an Indigenous voice have ramped up. But do we know who and what organisations are bankrolling these campaigns? And will voters know by polling day? NITV's voice correspondent, Cameron Gooley, explains. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. Yes or no. That's the choice millions of Australians will face when they hit the polls later this year. We already have the draft question. Fair enough. I'll second that. Now we're starting to see coordinated advertising blitzes from both sides. And they want the rules to change. This will divide us. But while the federal government is refusing to put public funds towards the campaigns, private donations will play a key part in the debate. 
I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking tens of millions on both sides. So yes, money matters. Most people don't engage in things until just beforehand. So there's that really tricky thing with a campaign. You want to control the narrative, but you don't want to blow all your bucks yet. And I think that's what both sides are sort of wrestling with now. The government has amended the legislation governing how referendums are run. The Australian Electoral Commission says this means there's now a new donation disclosure scheme. Parliament changed the legislation to bring it in line with the Electoral Act more broadly, which means that Um, There are donation and disclosure requirements, uh, and if you are donating uh, to a disclosure entity, you will need to declare that. Donors, whether they're an individual, business or organisation, must disclose what they've contributed to a referendum entity if the donation exceeds $15,200. The disclosure period begins six months before the writ for the referendum is issued and ends on voting day. The AEC also says a $100 limit on foreign donations acts as an effective ban on the practice. Those who breach the rules could face civil and, in some cases, even criminal penalties. And what we're doing is urging people, if they are going to spend money on a campaign or donate, they need to keep records. The AEC also has a transparency register, which will publish returns from donors 24 weeks after polls close. The funding and disclosure scheme for elections, which applies for referendums as well, is retrospective, uh, not prospective. And that's a matter for Parliament. That's embedded in the legislation. We need to have real-time disclosure so that people know before they cast their votes who it is who's been seeking to influence the outcome of a referendum or an election. While we already know about some high-profile donations, most Australians likely won't know who's donated to who until long after the dust has settled on this nation-defining vote. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. You're listening to NITV radio with me, Bertrand Tungandami, broadcasting today from Nam on the Kulin Nation. Well, the head of Victoria Police has made a non-reserved apology for his institution's historic treatment of Aboriginal Victorians. Chief Commissioner Shen Patton faced the Uruk Justice Commission, which is the first formal truth-telling inquiry into injustices against First Nations people in the state. Hannah Kwon reports. The Uruk Justice Commission has been investigating past and ongoing injustices against Victoria's First Nations people. It has repeatedly raised concerns about the police force and now Victoria Police Chief Commissioner Shane Patton has faced the Commission to say sorry. As Chief Commissioner and on behalf of Victoria Police, I formally and unreservedly apologise for police actions that have caused or contributed to the trauma experienced by so many Aboriginal families in our jurisdiction. For the Commissioner, Victoria Police is not intentionally racist, but he says that policing of Aboriginal people has historically been influenced by systemic and structural racism. He says discriminatory actions in the force have gone undetected, unchecked and unpunished, causing significant harm across generations of Indigenous families. I now understand that while we've done much, in my view, to improve our policies and practices, we need more than that. We need to undertake transformational change. That change needs to be urgent, it needs to be effective, and it needs to be done with purpose. 
The historic apology came amid evidence at the Yurok Justice Commission of 33 deaths in custody of First Nations people in Victoria since the 1991 Royal Commission. Victoria Police Minister Anthony Carbine says no one has been held accountable for those deaths. How many people have been charged for those deaths? I'm not aware of any commissioner of it that have been none. charged for those less, which would be none. How many people have been reprimanded? I'm not aware of any commissioner of it. How many people have been investigated? I'm not aware, Commissioner Lovett, that there have been any. There will be naturally investigations into those matters, but where accountability is held is, is clearly been lacking. Commissioner Patton was also asked about accountability. He told the inquiry racism-related complaints have been made against 175 Victorian officers in the past five years, but only one was transferred and just one other dismissed from the service. Police Commissioner Patton's apology has been welcomed, but with this warning from Yurik Justice Commission Chair Professor Eleanor Burke. If actions do not follow your apology then what hope will we have? Your apology must bring real change. The Uruk Justice Commission asks for an undertaking today that Victoria Police protect Aboriginal communities and families and that Victoria Police respect our culture and human rights. Ian Ham is the chair of Connecting Home, a service that supports members of the stolen generations across southeast Australia. He says the apology is a significant moment in the relationship between Victoria Police and the state's Indigenous community. And he says the question is now where we go from here. How do we fix the whole system? Because if we just charge particular police, all that does is take the eye off what really needs to be done, which is reform of the whole police uh, force or police service in Victoria. The department has been presented with a shield by the Commission. Commissioner Patton says he knows it is a symbolic gesture that carries the expectation of change. I understand this isn't a gift. I understand this represents, from a Victoria Police perspective, since we're established, significant pain to the Aboriginal community. It's understood the shield will now hang in Mr Patton's office as a reminder of his apology and the need for change. Hannah Kwan, SBS News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. And uh, this brings us to the end of uh, today's program on NITV Radio. And I take the opportunity to invite you to follow us on social media, especially on uh, Facebook. I also invite you to visit our website, sbs.com.au slash NITV Radio. I am Petran Tungandami. Thanking you for your company this Wednesday afternoon. Till next time, bye for now. Yellow.